Live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studio in Boston, Massachusetts, and the Gurkha Cigar Studio in beautiful British Columbia, welcome to the Smokin' Tobacco Show with your hosts, Matt Tobacco and Mitchell Santaga. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Smokin' Tobacco Show. My name is Matt Tobacco from SmokinTobacco.com, live once again in the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios, and I am joined once again by my very good friend, Mr. Mitchell Santaga, also of SmokinTobacco.com, in the Gurkha Cigar Studios. Mitchell, how are you? No, I'm doing pretty good. It feels like uh, you were maybe throwing back to a little like coop intro read there with the speed read. I don't know. It's like how many cups of coffee have you had today? That wasn't nearly <laughs> as fast as coop's intro. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, coop's is like, well, first he does the slow countdown. The three, two, one, go. Powered from the Perdomo Studios in Indiana, North Carolina. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I felt like you're, you're trying there. You're trying to evoke some of that uh, some of that energy there. Sometimes some on Spare time. Notes, like, because Spare Notes is like a late Saturday night show. Um, yeah. Like, if I've been, you know, drinking a little bit before the show, because that's more of a, a little more of a relaxed show, um, and, I, and I'm excited – then I have been known to get a little rowdy during the intro, um, but still, I, I, I can't go as fast as he does. I mean, and, and then it's not even just the <laughs> intro, the ad reads he does, too. Like, he does them so fast. And Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's the thing. Those ad reads are next level. And honestly, you gotta give use... him you got to give him a lot of credit because it's not easy to, to read stuff off like that that fast. I mean, oh, it's, it's definitely not. I, I If I tried to read off the stuff that Coop reads off at the beginning of his show, I would stumble several times, and I'd have to stop and be like... Oh, hold on. Let me reset. I, I, it's 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 tricky. I've tried. Uh, he he's a pro. Yep. You got to give it to him. He is a professional. Um, but yeah, and I am nowhere near his speed. But how's it going? What's going on? Oh, you know, it's a beautiful day here in British Columbia. It's Another always a beautiful sunny, day there. Is it ever a miserable man. day? <laughs> is beautiful is, British Columbia ever it. not beautiful? I mean, that's what I want to know. Yeah, you know, it's it's always beautiful in some way, shape, or form. You know. Yeah. But uh, you. yeah, you know, not, not as not as hot today. You know, I think we're hovering around 72, but uh, it's it's doable in the backyard in the nice shade. And um, yeah, just smoking a really nice cigar and and uh, ready to, uh, to talk to a wonderful guest. Yeah, we do. We have a great guest with us here tonight. Uh, one that a lot of people probably have at least heard of. Um, but if you haven't, he is a sensation. Uh, that's how I like to describe him. He is uh, he's a great guy. He's good at what he does. He's smart. He's always sharp. I love I love to I love to see this guy every time I run into him. I love having him on the show. He's been on the show before, and he just opened his own factory. That's right. It's Klaus Kellner of Kellner Cigars, and let's bring him on the show. Let me. Uh, I don't have my I don't have my my side thing here with me to get all the buttons. So I can do it quick. There he is, Klaus Kellner. What's going on, buddy? Hi, Matt. Hi, Mitchell. How's it going? It's great. It's always great to see you. Great. Thank you for the nice words. Oh, of course. Um, always. It really, it's it's always a pleasure to come on your show. Um, it, we're missing uh, Nicole, but it's nice to have Mitchell on the show. And it's also uh, just, you know, wonderful to talk about what's coming up and seeing the beautiful reception of how different people in the media have taken it. So. I'm very excited. This is actually my first show talking about it. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought you were on with somebody recently. Actually, I thought you were on with Coop. No? Well, maybe not. Okay. Uh, no. 
they mentioned me uh, right after I announced it. Okay. In one of the Saturday shows. Okay. Well, thank you for, uh, yeah, thank you for letting us be your inaugural show. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. This is yeah, going to be yeah. great then. Um, yeah, you, you have been, uh, you have been busy. Um, as people who follow you know, um, you know, formerly of Davidoff, um, you're yeah. no longer there. You're now, as you like to call a free agent, you're on your own, you're doing your own thing. Um, you know, you're a younger guy too, who's doing his own thing, already has some great experience, already has a great resume. Uh, so you really have a lot of tools at your disposal already. And uh, no, no, nothing but up from you, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm excited to to hear a little bit more about, you know, kind of more about the factory and whatever you will share with me about what your plans are for the future. I know you probably won't share everything, but that's okay. Um, but I, either way, I'll be excited to watch as it as it continues to transform and you uh, continue. Oh, I can success. tease a little bit. <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's that's always yeah, we, what I'm we, here for. We're definitely, we're definitely, uh, you know, not rumor or teaser free. We're all about the the teasers. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, uh, I see what you did there. I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, <laughs> but no, first, before we get into that, let's just take a quick moment to uh, talk about what we're smoking and how we're cutting and lighting it. As always, our cigars are brought to you by the number two guys cigars.com. That's right. That's the number two guys cigars.com head over there now for one of the biggest and best selections of cigars and cigar accessories in the industry only at the number two guys cigars.com class as our guest i'm gonna let you go first what are you smoking with us tonight well i think part of my job now is smoking a lot of cigars um now that are <laughs> well before it was cigars that were out of the market now my my job is more cigars that haven't even finished quality control. So I find myself smoking a lot of cigars that are freshly rolled off the table, um, cigars that either have a couple weeks aging or a couple months aging, and I'm just seeing how their evolution is going before we package them and we export them. So with me, I didn't know what to where to start, but with me, I have all these test samples from today huh. that I have to smoke on a daily basis. So I decided to start with um, it's a test blend of a 55 and a five and a half ring gauge. And it's just my daily job now. So uh, I'm taking this the time of the show to actually work. <laughs> hey, you know, work. someone in your position, uh, you're always working, right? So uh, I would expect nothing less from you. Uh, Mitchell, what yep. you got? So you know, I know his factory is in the Dominican Republic, and I smoked almost all of my DR cigars like in the last two months. And this was literally the last cigar I had in my humidor that was made in the Dominican Republic. And it's a Jose Dominguez, and I had the Grande Natural, which is nice. a seven and a half by 50. So, yeah, this is smoking nice, nice and mild. You know, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy for a cigar of the day, so. Yeah, I was gonna say you're starting it off. You gotta start mild. For you, mm -hmm. you know, I I don't start mild. I usually start here and I come down. But I know you start mild. So hey, whatever floats your boat. Um, <laughs> anyway, just a little bit of fun. I'm smoking uh, a Brickhouse Churchill, Br a Brickhouse Classic. Uh, I was just finishing up an LFD Suave. 
uh, that I was going to smoke on the show, but I was just too excited and I started smoking it before and I already finished it. So I had one of these on the table and uh, I grabbed one of these. You can find it at twoguyscigars.com. Uh, a single cigar will set you back $8.59, while a box will get you $189.99. And once again, that's only at the number two guyscigars.com. And as always, we're cutting and lighting our cigars with Cigar Blondie Accessories. Available in three amazing finishes, chrome, black, and white. These beautiful accessories featuring a double guillotine cutter and a slim-bodied flat fan blade flame lighter. Uh, very sleek, very sharp. Get them today at CigarBlondie.com. All right. <clears throat> Class, it's time to get back to you. It's your time to shine, buddy. It's all about you tonight. This is... Uh, this is a show that I've been excited for, obviously, you know, with the uh, with the announcement that you recently made, and I've been eagerly waiting to get into it with you. Uh, first of all, we'll kind of backtrack a little bit, just for those who are kind of maybe new uh, to you and um, kind of what you've been up to the last couple of years. So, you were at Davidoff. You and your dad were at Davidoff um, for many years. How how long were you there for? With a paycheck? <laughs> yeah, I guess um, that's true with a paycheck. Before that, I, I call it community service. Um, but when, so backtracking even more, you know, my dad founded Tabadon and he decided to open up, up a factory for third party labels. So he made cigars for many different clients. Um, in the beginning of 1990, he started a production for probably his most famous client, Davidoff. I was born late 1990 in November. So when I was born, Davidoff was kind of part of the, of the picture. And then sometime in 2001, my dad sold the factory to Davidoff. He stayed on board for many years running it. Uh, other members of my family worked in Davidoff as well. Um, but I was groomed in, in, in the counter school of tobacco and blending. And then uh, you could say all my studies were focused around it. So when I finished college, the thing to do was come back to the Dominican Republic and start uh, January 7th, uh, 2014 was my first day with Davidoff. And I started with, um, as a, like a, like an intern. Okay. And then about after a year and a half intern, basically working in every single section of the factory. I worked in the fermentation. I worked in the farms. I worked in the warehouses, uh, sorting, rolling cigars as well. So at some point after that uh, internship, I decided to jump into the marketing side and we went to the United States and I was brand ambassador for several years. So about, about three years ago, I left the United States Davidoff and moved back to the Dominican Republic. And uh, at that point, I became an external consultant with Davidoff, which was it's the counter tobacco company that I own as well. So I also okay. do some consulting uh, on the side. And then after that, um, Davidoff decided to set me free. Let's put it that way. And, okay. and I basically started working on this project, which just recently launched a couple of months ago. Now, is this something that you, <clears throat> you've been thinking about doing for a long time? <clears throat> Obviously, I mean, you probably, I don't know whether you, how long you knew or if you ever thought like, hey, like, you know, I'll always be with Davidoff or if you assume like, hey, someday I'm going to go do something different. You know, is this something that, you know, you kind of always thought about doing or 
or was this something that was kind of a newer idea that came, you know, when things started to change? It's a good question. Um, I always knew I was going to work in tobacco and I always knew I was going to, I leaned more to the farming and the factory side, even though I really liked the marketing and I really liked going out and going to the retailers, meeting all the consumers. Yep. I, I always leaned towards the blending and the tobacco side. So it was never, it was never far-fetched. I always thought that maybe, you know, either I stay with Davidoff my whole life, you know, I was born in Davidoff and then, or I do my own thing. And my dad has always vouched that you should be your own boss, at least at some point in your life. So my dad was always, uh, my sister, my other sister, my big brother, they're all their own bosses right now, you know? And so my family's always liked about like that, but you know, at some point you got to go on your own and create your own thing. And could I have stayed in Davidoff my whole life and be perfectly happy blending cigars for them? Yeah. But they made my decision very easy. <laughs> so I, I get to, I get to do what I love on my own time and my own way. So I'm very blessed in that sense. Yeah. There's definitely a, a sense of freedom. You know, when you work for yourself, you're your own boss, you have your own responsibilities. You don't necessarily have to report to anyone else because you are the person. Um, the trade-off I assume you're, though with that is everybody that works for you. What was that? Say that again. You report to everybody that works for you. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. it. I like that. I, I feel there's way more responsibility because now you have the livelihoods of everybody that works under you. So it, it wasn't the case with me, but you know how some people say you clock out at five, you know, and you don't clock in again until nine o'clock next day. When yeah. you're your own boss, that never happens. And I'm sure it happens with your show and I'm sure it happens to everybody that's listening at some point. But when I was in Davidoff, because I felt like I was part of it, I never clocked out. And so in that sense, I don't think my life changed because I get home and I'm still thinking about work. I go to sleep and I'm still dreaming about work. I'm still dreaming out blends. So, but there is way more responsibility on your shoulders because the company depends on the people that trust, that have put their trust on you. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's pretty much, I was just going to kind of follow up with what you said before was, you know, the trade-off there is, you know, you go from, you know, reporting to someone else, so to speak, uh, to now, you know, you, you carry all of that responsibility of all the people who work for you and, you know, outside even a step further that all the things that you know financially you have to take care of with your business and there's so many other aspects and you have to manage it all um so it's not easy but <clears throat> it sounds like just based on your experience that you've had um your mindset was already there so to speak so you kind of this wasn't too um too much of a 180 for you uh i mean it's different yeah. obviously a different role uh but the mentality is kind of the same you're, just, you're always in it you're always prepared you're always thinking about it um which is good and i Feel like a that's... learning curve. I think I think the biggest change was the learning curve because, uh, you know, being born in a factory that's already operational and running is very different. I mean, you know everything, you know all the systems, you know all the work, you know all the machines that run in every single area, your humidifiers, your dehumidifiers, you know your cooling system, you know everything, right? You know how everything works. But now you actually have to go out there and get every single thing and set it up from scratch. Yeah. So, and you're a small team because right now I'm a small factory. So really 
you don't have an engineer that goes and uh, okay, let's set up this machine here for to dehumidify the tobacco. No, you have to go buy the machine yourself. You have to supervise the installation of the machine yourself. You have to check that it's running yourself everything properly. So it, it, there is a learning curve because I grew up in a factory that was already built with an infrastructure and a huge team. Right now, I have to go out there and do it by myself with my small team. But don't you now think it, that, it, that? No, go ahead, Mitchell. I'll let you go first. It, it, it kind of sounds like for this factory. I don't know if you can really answer this. You guys pretty much built this from the ground up, um, or was there already something there previously that you kind of took over? So I'm located in uh, the main free zone in the Dominican Republic in Santiago. In Santi the main free zone in Santiago, and. It's where many other big factories are. I'm blessed to be in that location. And it's also the free zone that carries some of the most important box makers, ring makers, cellophane, uh, suppliers of tobacco. So I'm very blessed that I got that location. But that building I received, nobody had been there before. I received four walls and a ceiling. So yeah. it was from scratch. Everything from scratch. There was nothing. Nice and fresh. And, yeah, no, no cabling for electricity, no cabling for anything. You know, I had to install even the uh, cisternas, uh, like um, the, to store water so that there's enough water for the building and the production. And everything. I have to install everything from scratch. Okay. Pretty cool. Wow. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say. I mean, you know, you mentioned a few times how you know you kind of were born into a factory that was already running and ready. Um, but you know, certainly starting your own factory, having the experience you already have with everything else you've done, um, you know, now you, at this point, you know, you go to start a factory It to me, it's, it's just another one of those things where it adds to that experience level. Now you can say you've done, you've done mostly everything else, so to speak. Uh, yeah. now you can say, Hey, I started a factory too. You know, I, I know what it's like to start a factory. I know what it's like to run a factory and to work in a factory and maintain a factory. Now you know how to start a factory, um, which is important, you know, um, and it only, you know, help you. I mean, who knows? I mean, mm -hmm. you might open another factory in the future. Who knows? Now you had that experience. So uh, I guess, you know, everything you do. And one of the things I've learned as I've got older is, you know, every time you do something new, uh, even if it's difficult, right, it's always a learning experience. And it's always good because you'll you'll always have that, you know, for the next time you, you ever, if you ever do that thing again, um, it's good to have that. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like, you know, like you were saying. So this was a fresh, fresh startup. Now, how big, how big is the factory? Um, it's, it's, well, it depends on how, how you want to call it. But basically, uh, size-wise, it's like 7,000 square feet. Okay. Yes. Um, you could say it's, it's boutique size, mm -hmm. maybe a little bigger. Mm. I mean, there are very, very boutique sizes, but this is a professionally installed boutique size company. Okay. And how mm -hmm. many? And are how you, many? Are you, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. All right. I was just gonna say, and how and how many how many people do you have working for you right now? It's growing very fast. I mean, when I started during the construction, I only had two people working with me, but now we're above ten, and it's we'll see how we'll we'll grow. Uh, organically, depending on production, depending on demand. Uh, I do have one uh, policy in place, though, is that any person that comes in new 
I need to supervise them and we need to train them in my style or in, in how I want to do things. So even if it's a cigar roller that has had 10 years of experience working somewhere else, I still want to supervise them. I still want to check their, how they're rolling cigars, anything that they might have acquired anywhere else, and maybe anything that I might have to change uh, so that it is the way that we do things in my company. So it's I, there's no way I would have started with like 50 people because that's uncontrollable. You know, even if I had that demand, I want to make sure that every new roller that comes in gets trained by me and trained also by my head supervisor in the way that we do our thing. So we're going to grow Thanks, yeah. and I would say maybe fast, but to, in some people's eyes might be slow. Yeah, I was just going to say pretty much I, w I was wondering how many uh, pairs specifically you had, but yeah, I think you kind of mm -hmm. mentioned that. I mean, look, <clears throat> anything you do, you know, you start small and you grow. That's just how it goes. Very few people mm -hmm. have the luxury of being able to start big. Um, and I think that... I wouldn't want to start big. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, and I, and I, but I think, you know, starting small and growing is the right way to do it. I mean, it's um, it's more controllable. It's There's, there's more to learn. There's... Um, I think I think it's a better way to to grow a business than you know start really big and then you already have all these pieces in place so you're trying to figure out all at the same time versus when you grow you kind of do things in little increments and you add more to your plate as you go and you learn a little bit more every day you're not trying to figure it all out at the same time um, but you know again it's it's uh, it's 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 something it's there's things that you'll you'll still learn look there's people that have been in this business people you know even your dad and People like, you know, Jose Blanco, who always saying like, hey, I've been doing this for what, 50 years now? I'm still learning new stuff. It, there's, there's never mm -hmm. there's never a time when you're just like, I already know everything because I've, I've done it all. It's like, no, people are always learning. Um, there's, and, and you have to understand that, I mean, I, everybody's going to say something along the same lines, but it, I mean, prime focus is quality. It, so growing organically allows me to make sure that the quality that I'm that we're putting out into the market is as perfect as humanly possible. And being the size that I am right now allows me to be able to supervise in a very micro environment, you know, and not only the cigars being rolled, but every single bale of tobacco that is bought, I taste it. Every single bale of tobacco that is sorted, I'm participating in it. And I'm opening up the bales as when we need move on to a new bale, I'm there opening up the bell with them, checking the tobacco there, has, if it has changed in anything from the moment we bought it, or as we're sorting it and we're sorting it right. So we're putting the seco, the visos and ligero, where they're supposed to be going. So I am constantly there, not only tasting full cigars, but I'm tasting the tobaccos, the single tobaccos by themselves. And that's something that in a big format, you could not do. You would have to depend on other people. And maybe one day I'll grow that big, but Right now, the beauty of being small is just it's so beautiful. It, it allows me to be part of the whole process. Which I think is very important as well. And like you mentioned before, like, you know, getting people on board with your style and just the way you like to do things, which I totally understand. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. One of the things I was curious about now, there's a lot of factories out there. There's a lot of brands, a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of people making cigars. But um, I, I think it's a safe bet to say that, you know, previously working with Davidoff, Davidoff is one of those brands where um, 
maybe, maybe you could disagree with that, and that's fine. Uh, I don't know, but I would make an educated guess that Davidoff is one of the stricter uh, manufacturers in terms of their quality control and how they do things. They, you know, they're a bigger company. Um, they put out a more ultra premium product, so I'm sure they pay a lot more close attention to detail in every aspect. And being in that culture every day, um, pretty much to this point for you, would you say that that's true and it's kind of made you um, very particular yourself when it comes to now doing your own things, having that background of being just very keen on the details of things? Yeah, I, I come from that school. I come from the counter school. I come from the Davidoff school, uh, which inherently is part of the counter school. Um, so for I, you could argue that I don't know how to do it any any other way. Yeah. And, yeah. and if I did it in any way, any other way that was cutting corners here or there, I, I would probably feel like I'm cheating myself. So it goes against who I am as a person, who I was, who I, I was, how my dad raised me. So I, I don't think I could do it any other way. Was working with And it's kind of nice because it's micro. So like you take all your learnings from a big company and then you see, okay, how can we adapt something that a big company is doing, but in a small setting? So also there, there's like a learning curve with a small team. Now, when you were, we might've touched on this last time you were on the show, but just as a refresher, I mean, you know, working with your dad, um, as this business is mostly a family business for the most part, um, you know, working with your dad, you know, did you find it extra challenging? Did your dad push you, you know, even harder, you know, to learn more, to, to be better or, or all that, like all those, all those things that, you know, a father son relationship, uh, in the workplace, you know, you normally hear people talk about, was it like that? Or was it, um, more of, he kind of let you figure things out on your own and learn your own lessons rather than try to, you know, coach you along every step of the way. Well, my dad has a, my dad is very supportive, uh, to all of his kids. Um, he's very supportive to all the people that work with him and his family, friends. So he, he's a great person to go back to if you have any questions and he's always willing to help. He's always receiving you with open arms. Um, but working under him, he was always very strict with me. He always made me figure things out myself. Um, even in, even creating this factory, um, my dad only would visit and only would basically, uh, have an input if I asked him to, if I needed help but it was really on my own. And then whoever I could talk to, uh, other, fr other friends in the industry that have other factories that if I needed advice or my dad. So uh, in Davidoff, you could say that my dad was very strict, but I think now he's even more strict because I think he said it at some point, and he's probably said it more than one time, but he says, starting a factory from scratch do you have any idea how hard that is? Like, so like, are you, you must be crazy. I was like, well, that is what I love. It's like, okay, but it's going to be tough. Like, yeah. But he, so he just kind of just let me go out and do it on my own. I had to go get permits on my own. I had to go buy tobacco on my own. Um, it's always nice when you have a blend uh, that, you know, I look for tobacco on my own. I do the blends on my own. And then at some point I gave a blend to my dad. It's like, Hey, try this. Hey, taste it with a sign of approval. And then he says, 
I would change this. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's always challenging me to make something better. And he's like, the, the blend is perfect. But if it was me, I would have done this. <laughs> There's like, always that little it, bit of like, eh, it's not 100%. <laughs> it might be perfect. It might be 100% perfect. But he will always challenge me. What if you would have done this? Actually, I have here one of these cigars. It's a test blend. And this particular cigar is a change from with a suggestion of my dad. So I'm going to try it with the suggestion of my dad. And and I know the cigar is already great, you know, but I've already tried it. I'm going to try it again. But it's always nice to have a second opinion on the blending. And he's a great resource. I, oh, I would course. be crazy not to have him, to not use him. Yeah. You, you, sorry. I don't know why I started there. Uh, yeah, of course. Like you just said, you have a great resource. I mean, you have your dad. He's been doing this a long time. Um, and not even just him. I mean, I'm sure you got other friends and connections or whatever. I know your brother. Your brother's in the business too. Uh, we know we talked about that. Mm -hmm. He's been doing some stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the other good thing you do have. You know, as much as he's right, it, it's it's hard to start a factory, only I can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, you do have good resources, you know, and it sounds to mm -hmm. me like – you know, you uh, you know when to use them. You know, it's not just a full reliance. It's you do figure things out on your own. But yeah, I shouldn't rely on a hundred percent on my dad. I should learn from my mistakes. I should. I sh it, it's it's gonna make me stronger. If if I would have been handheld all the way to the start to where I'm at right now, starting this factory, then maybe I couldn't say with as much pride, hey. This is something I did. There's something in my in my team did, you know. So, so it, it's just nice always to have that person to go back to, or, or family members that help you out in certain moments. Because each one of my brothers also have a, my brothers and sisters have a specialty. So it's always good to have this wide available resources or friends and family that you can always go back to and ask, hey, how would you do this? Because I'm gonna make mistakes. I know I am. Everybody is the start the starting. So it's just the least amount of mistakes I can make, the better. But I will make mistakes, and I have to learn from them. Absolutely. Now, I know that you had said before you're you're making cigars. You're not doing anything for yourself. This is mostly for third-party clients, uh, making stuff for them. Um, anyone in particular that is public about working out of your factory yet or not yet? As of right now, my factory is making only third-party labels for other clients. Uh, all the cigars that are either in production or have finished in production, they're still in my aging uh, rooms. And none of my clients have gone public about it. So I'll let them uh, decide when they want to talk about it, mm -hmm. uh, when they want to market it, when they want to sell it. Um, but very soon you'll start seeing some things being shipped out of my factory and they might make it out into the news. Um, Starting as a private label factory is great. Uh, and it allows me to focus in the factory and focus on all the issues at hand, the tobacco, the blending, the sorting, the aging, the packaging. And it makes me happy to make sure that I can run things. I run a tight ship and make sure that is as perfect as possible. My dad never did a, a, a private uh, a blend for himself, a brand for himself. He only did private labels and that made him who he is. That made him as 
a perfect a person that is very focused on production and on the growing of tobacco and and that's what he's known for he didn't spend his time out in the market traveling doing events uh doing marketing spending his time in sales he was able to focus his whole attention to the factory and that's what i'm doing right now yeah now now how many i don't know if you can say but how many clients do you have right now enough to to keep the factory working for a while. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and that's good. And, and for and for and for sure um, enough to grow, which is good. Um, you know, you you reach out to people that are close to you because I want to make cigars for my friends. I want to make cigars for people that are close to me that believe in the family, and you tease them about the idea. Hey, this is something that I'm interested in, and then some people jump on board. So I'm very grateful for those people that jumped on board even before we we put up the first wall and and those are the people that believe it at the beginning and once i announced it was it was tough to uh not answer my phone yeah. <laughs> because a lot of people called and you have to pick and choose and you have to be respectful of really what your capacity is to produce and your capacity to grow so there are people that I might have to say no to. And, but right now my focus is focusing on my friends and those people that believed at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to, <clears throat> that's a great way to attack that situation. I think, um, you have to be loyal to the people that are loyal to you. That's right. I, I agree. Um, the people who believe in you, um, people who were there with you from day one. I mean, those are some of the most important people you have in your life. Uh, not the people you have to convince later, the people who already believe. Um, I totally get that. And I, th I agree with that. Um, when it comes to those people that you are working with, though, um, and again, no one specific. We're not talking about anyone specific, but um, w with these cigars you're making for some of your clients, uh, are you doing all of the blending yourself? Are they involved? Do you have other people working on blends? Or, or are you pretty much you're going to control the blends and they kind of just pick and choose what they like? Well, there's different scenarios and every client is different and different clients live in different parts of the world. Um, my favorite kind of client is the person that actually comes down and sits down with me and spends a couple days with me or a week. And we actually, I create blends for them. They give me more or less a, an idea of what they want. So I create blends for them. I'm the only one creating the blends and and I offer them all these blends. So they come down, I make them try all of them, and then they give me their opinion. And okay, so out of these blends that you made, maybe let's lean towards this one. This one is our favorite one. How can we tweak it? How can we make it better? Okay, so let's make more test blends based out of that with the tweaks that you you asked for. So a day or two later, we come back to those cigars after they've been rolled in the factory. We try it out, try them out again. Okay, did we get close enough? Do we have to do another set of, of blends? And we actually get to work with the client intimately and and create something that they could say that they participated in the blend creation and most of my clients are that way um there are some clients that i you maybe hit it on the nail on the first go and you're like this cigar is perfect already this is exactly what i was looking for and that might be a very easy client uh but i think the, there's beauty in actually working with a client and making them own part of the process. 
and every blend that I make for a client, it's their blend. And it, I, I won't repeat that blend for anybody else. So it, it's fun to actually create something that they feel like they have an ownership. And when it comes to working on blends with, with some of your clients, I mean, when it comes to specific tobaccos, I mean, is there any tobaccos that, you know, people will request that, you know, either you can't acquire or you don't acquire or is, you know, if someone comes in with a very specific, you know, hey, I want this and this and I want this, um, you know, do you essentially just be like, yeah, we'll get it. Uh, or is it kind of tricky? Like, well, this is not really available or, hey, like, you know, we can't buy this tobacco from this company. We don't work with them or whatever. Um, how, how does that process kind of go for someone who's not really familiar with that? Okay, so as a small cigar factory that is boutique size, I don't have the ability to have warehouses of fermentation and warehouses of aging with tons and years and years of bales um, in large quantities. So with those first initial clients, I would go to uh, suppliers and different suppliers say, hey, I have this available, I have this available. And I grabbed a big selection, a large variety of different tobaccos. And then I would go and actually uh, create test blends with those sample tobaccos. And then um, a client would say, yes, this is more or less what I like, or let's tweak it a little bit. And then I would go again back to suppliers, hey, let's let's change this a little bit. Can you offer me this kind of tobacco? And, and then I would basically uh, create another test blend. Once those first clients that I acquired decided on blends and I could go out there and purchase large quantities of tobacco. And for a small factory, I went out and bought like four or five times the amount of tobacco that I needed for those blends and extra tobaccos of other varieties that I know I will probably be using or I know the market is leading to. Most of the people, interestingly enough, the market is going in one direction and you can tell that uh, most clients are looking for medium to full body or larger size ring gauges. There, of course, there are exceptions. And it's interesting because a lot of people are asking for like a bottle wrapper um, from wherever you want to source it, whatever country you want to source it. But there's a lot of a or darker colored wrappers that are being asked for. And, and rarely they'll ask for something that's not obtainable. Uh, but you know the flavor profile of that tobacco and you can say hey okay maybe i don't have this but i think i can substitute it with something like this and i know it's something you're gonna like so there's a little bit of compromise but my job is to go to suppliers and every single bale that i purchase because i don't have the opportunity to ferment it i have to depend on the supplier to ferment it i have to make sure that the bale i'm buying is already fully fermented has good age on it and that part of the process has already been done. Then I'll purchase that tobacco and I'll finish a little bit of aging in my warehouses on, on, on the bale side. We'll make the cigars, all the processes to make the cigar, and then we'll age that cigar at least three months in my aging room so that the cigars are uh, well, well balanced, they have become uniform and the humidity has stabilized throughout the cigar. So it is really more about buying the right tobacco Glad, very glad, very grateful to all the suppliers that have opened up their doors to me and allowed me to actually go in. And if I taste a bale and I say, no, this bale, no, okay, let's get another bale. Or if I receive a bale in the factory and I open it up and I taste it, um, I think we may have made a mistake. Okay, let's see if we can change this bale for another bale. And I, actually, it's been a really nice close relationship with the suppliers. 
and that have allowed me because they know what I'm looking for and the quality that I'm looking for. I'm only buying grade A tobacco. I'm only going for the top. I'm not cutting any corners. So it, it is a fun adventure actually sourcing the tobacco. That's probably the funnest part. It's going to suppliers, spending their four hours and tasting bales and bales and bales, single leaf tobaccos, one after another, and making sure that the, the tobacco they're making available to you is well fermented and well aged. Yeah, that was going to be kind of like my follow-up question was, you know, would you say the tobacco buying process, I mean, that seems like a whole animal within itself. I mean, you know, production, rolling, all that stuff, all important stuff, all, you know, time consuming. But the tobacco buying process, it almost seems like it's this island of its own because it needs so much attention. Um, because, you know, every time you're buying tobacco, you're buying, you're trying to create a, a blend, maybe a specific blend. Maybe you're, you're kind of in like a, a wheelhouse of an area and you're just trying to figure out what tobaccos are going to make up that blend. But still, you got to, like you said, you got to sit down with them. You got to taste all these different tobaccos. You got to find the right stuff, find what you're looking for, find the right flavor. I know you mentioned the fermentation, which is um, obviously a huge part of the process. And I'm sure you run into tobaccos yeah. that, you know, hey, this one's just not, you know, fermented enough for what I'm looking for. Or, you know, this one's great or this one's whatever. Um, yeah. it, is it a tricky process? I know you mentioned it's fun, but is it also just a really tricky process too? Uh if you know what you're looking for, and if you know what the, the taste profile that you're looking for, for each tobacco and the intensities, and you know when to pick out when a tobacco is not well fermented or it's not well aged, or just that tobacco is not up to par to the standards that you're looking for, it's it's pretty easy. I think the, the hardest part is the time consuming part of it. it and, and actually sitting down and, and tasting each one, making little pachuches, little single, uh, cylinders of tobacco of one variety and tasting and comparing it to another bale. Is this bale the same as this bale? Am I getting the same notes? No, this bale actually tastes a little lighter. And and even when you buy the tobacco and you're as precise as possible, that when you actually take that out of your aging room and you start sorting it, you're going to start finding different varieties of levels of intensity from, that, from those bales. So you have to actually resort them yourself in your factory to make sure that the tobaccos are going to each blend are exactly the level position of the plant that you want. So the cigar doesn't end up being too strong or too light. And it's exactly the blend that you designed. So it, there's two parts of it. First, going out there and buying the right tobacco, the right bales, but then in your factory, being able to resort it properly and being hands-on about it. So to make sure that each leaf is well divided into its section into its level of strength so that when you go to make the blend, the cigar is always uniform. It's, it's, it can be very tricky, but if, I don't know, for me, it's simple. It's just time consuming, but, but it's not time consuming. It doesn't feel like it because it's fun. I like it. I, I think probably my favorite, there are two favorite parts. My favorite part is testing the final blends and tweaking them. And then actually the purchasing of tobacco. Those are my two favorite parts. Those are the parts that get you through the day. <laughs> well, it's because you're you're experimenting and you're creating something and you're trying something new. Or you go to a supplier and say, I actually have also this bale, this variety. Would you like to try it? Yes, bring it out. Let me see if it's something I can use. And uh, it, I am exposed now, outside of Davidoff, I'm exposed now to much more varieties. During my internship with Davidoff, I actually did internships with some of the suppliers. Okay. Which, so 
So some of the suppliers actually open up their doors to me. And now I'm coming back, what, like eight years later, seven years later, and they're saying, and some of the employees that I interned with or I worked with are like, oh, wow, I remember when you were interning here, working with me, and now you're here buying tobacco from me. So it, it, I know what I'm looking for, but now I have this world of suppliers that have different varieties and tobaccos that Davidoff doesn't use because each company leans in one direction or another. Some companies specialize, some cigar companies specialize in some tobaccos for their blending and some companies specialize in other tobaccos. So it, now it's, it's like I have a bigger world at my disposal. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say, you know, we've had so many conversations with people who blend and uh, make cigars and, and what have you, not just people who, you know, own the brand and oversee the business operation, but people like, you know, yourself who work with the tobaccos are in the factory, they're making the blends, they're tasting the tobaccos, um, you know, and to me, the conversation is always pretty similar, you know, so to speak. And it, it's always, for me, I always kind of liken it to, to blenders and, and cigar makers to like, you know, artists, like legitimately artists and, you know, to hear you talk about buying the tobaccos and, and tasting the test blends it's, and how that's your favorite part. To me, it's like, well, that's that creativity. That's that artist creativity. You know, obviously owning a factory, running a factory is a is a big, like you said, responsibility. And there's a lot of things that go into doing all of that outside of the, you know, the I don't want to for lack of a better term, the more glamorous parts. Right. Um but that's that creativity. That's when like the artist is actually creating, and that's the exciting part, and that's the the fun part. Um, that's what everything else that you do that may not be as fun. Um, you know, that's what allows that to happen because uh, without that, I mean, it, that's why you're there. So it it is exciting. I love having these conversations and people talk about tasting tobaccos and and going through that. I've never really. I mean, I have a little bit. You know, on the few people that I've met with, you know got to see like you know this much of that and it is it's it's cool and exciting to do that every day i can only imagine it must be uh it must be you know just an amazing life to have i can only only imagine it's the creativity <laughs> you mentioned the creativity and it's it's almost like you i i used to say this back when they would do events as brand ambassador traveling around the world but you know i'm a, I'm a, I'm a blender let's let's call it, let's not call it master blender a blender looks at his inventory, looks at what's being sorted, looks at what you're getting out of those bales. And then the more you sort, the more specific you are, the more ingredients are being available to you. So you essentially become a chef in your own kitchen and you, uh, okay, what if I add this percentage to the tobacco? How would the flavor change? What if, and it's always evolving, is always changing as your factory is evolving because more tobaccos become available to you. And I would, I would joke back when I was in Davidoff that Davidoff is never going to run out of blends. And, and that's how I feel. Like, even with the amount of tobacco I have, I, I feel like I'm not going to run out of blends because there are so many possibilities and so many ways of changing up a blend, even just by just changing one leaf, by changing 10% or changing a binder, the cigar becomes completely different. And and it's it's like a little playground with all these toys or a, a kitchen with all these ingredients that is it's ever evolving. So it, I don't know, it, I, I, I kind of, I light up thinking about it. 
The other day I had this tobacco that I'm like, I haven't really used this in a blend and I need to start using it in a blend because I, I purchased quite a lot about it. And, and I kind of went to bed thinking about this situation. I need to use this tobacco. I need to use it in a blend and I need to make something good. And I woke up with like three different blend options that I kind of dreamt about because I, I went into sleep thinking about it. And in my dreams, I kept working on it and I woke up and then I woke, I woke up and I wrote down on my computer. I wrote down an Excel file. Okay. This percentage, this percentage, this percentage. And I got to the factory. like, we need to try this. And three pretty good cigars came out of it. One of them was better than the others. And, and it's, it, you never turn it off. So it, you're always thinking about what you can do next. It's fun. Wow. You weren't kidding about that. You, you literally <laughs> eat, breathe, live, dream tobacco <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, now I have more worries. Now I have, now I have the factory constantly in, in, in my brain and it's just, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like I can go and play in the factory every day. When I was a little kid, I used to drive around my bicycle through the galera, through the rolling floor. And so it was my playground. Now it's my playground in a different way. Yeah. <clears throat> Still a playground, but yeah, in a, in a much different mm -hmm. aspect. Um, well, let, let's Is get there to the a... Go ahead. Oh, you want to go to the no, news? I was going to, but I'll, you go first. I'll... I was just wondering, you mentioned that tobacco, but has there been a tobacco uh, that you've kind of found that you weren't really able to or didn't really get the opportunity to utilize while you were with the Davidoff that you've kind of uh, discovered or been able to use a little bit more now that you're in your own factory that you're really uh, like fell in love with or were surprised with that, you know, you're like, wow, I, I can't believe this has kind of gone under the radar for me. Um, I know obviously Davidoff uses tons of stuff out there, not just from the Dominican now, but uh, yeah, is there any, have you, have you found anything like that so far? I think one of my favorite additions to my repertoire of, of tobaccos has been Criollo 98. Mm. Criollo 98 is not a tobacco that Davidoff uses widely. And it, it's been like a eye-opening to me. It, it, it blends very well. It, 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 I think it's a tobacco, not, not that I'm going to like put it in every single cigar. I don't have to put it in every single cigar, but it's a tobacco that if sometimes you're missing something, it kind of, if I just put some of it, it'll fix up the blend. And normally it kind of does. Sometimes, no. yeah, it's, it just kind of fix. It just balances it out. And I'm like, oh, if we had put some clear 98 on it, uh, it'll, it'll fix it. Or, I mean, and the other, and the other, and the other way around, it's, for example, I, I grew up in, with my dad blending a lot of cigars with San Vicente, and it's been part of many tastings. And it's the other way around. It's like, um, I, ha I find it hard not hard, but like uh, I, I lean to using a lot of that tobacco because I like it. I like how it tastes. Uh, so and I think it blends very well. So I find myself making a lot of cigars with, 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 that, with that tobacco in them in certain percentages or in different amounts or in certain uh, levels of strength. But it's a, it's a tobacco that, that rounds out uh, a lot of missing parts. There's some tobaccos that are very lineal or very specific and and you, when you make cigars with that kind of predominance of that tobacco, it's missing in some areas. And you just need to find other tobaccos that round that out or fill in the gaps. And Criollo 98, San Vicente are two great tobaccos that I find myself 
fixing a lot of blends sometimes. Nice. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask kind of a similar, kind of a similar question. Um, one question I do like to ask whenever I have the opportunity to work with people who do a lot of blending um, is there, is there any tobaccos out there that, and this isn't just like, you know, Mitchell was kind of asking, you know, more about, you know, stuff that you couldn't really get, you know, when you were with Davidoff that now you can, but in a, in a broader sense, I mean, are, are there tobaccos out there, <clears throat> whether you're actually working with them or not, but this actually kind of came to me the other day. Are there any tobaccos out there that are not very common that you think like, you know, this is a good tobacco. Why are, why do people not use this? Uh, whether it's because of just sourcing or it's expensive or w whatever the reason, uh, th there's got to be because you know you hear a lot of the the common ones. You know you mentioned you know Criollo '98 and you know you, you, yeah. there's a lot of common stuff out there. But I'm yeah. sure there's a bunch of varieties or seed varieties that maybe to the consumers or to the rest of the world that are not as common or we don't really hear about that obviously people like yourself know about very well, but it doesn't get used a lot. Do you, is there is there a lot of tobaccos out there that don't get used that are great tobaccos? Uh, to be honest, I think, I mean, when you talk about the industry as a whole, there's no tobacco that's not being used that is for premium cigars. So you could argue, oh, no, I, I've heard of this company using it or I've heard this company using it. Um, at the end of the day, it's your decision as a blender and as your company to focus on one tobacco more than another. Um, but I mean, personal experience, right? Uh, I got married, you know, you know where I got, yeah. we got we both got married in Vegas. That's right. We share and, that. Yeah, we do share that thing in common. And my wife, my wife grew up in Asia, and we decided that one of our our first trip after we got married was going to be to Asia. So I decided to take uh, two full days of that trip, and my wife willingly accepted to drive out four hours into the middle of Indonesia. Uh, and look at tobacco. <laughs> and she, she was very happy about it because I was happy. And it's also, she got to see people that, that knew her as a child because we want to visit those suppliers. So it was also very nice for her. Um, but for example, um, for me, I decided that I wanted to buy some Besuki tobacco. And uh, Besuki tobacco, it gets distributed to a lot of big players it's hard to get and it, it's some is a tobacco that i'm interested in because i had a personal experience with it that i loved and i got to see the whole processes how they ferment the tobacco differently there how they hang the tobacco differently in the curing barns how they sort the tobacco differently in the way the, the, the ladies work so i kind of have a, a little bit of an emotional attachment to it and it's a tobacco that i decided that if i had the opportunity i would purchase it and try blending with it. And it's a very, uh, the one I have is, a, is one that is very light, uh, very creamy, but it has a nice sweet undertone. It's very good for combustion, very good to round out the sweetness of a cigar. Very interesting. Um, nice. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a tobacco that is widely available on this side of the world. So. Does it make it harder to it, acquire? Depends on your supplier. Yeah. Even with the even even with the Criollo 98, right? I'm saying Criollo 98, but Criollo 98 can vary widely depending on the supplier and where it's grown. So 
I'm talking in this case about a specific Criollo 98 that I was able to find that I had not tasted before from a specific supplier, you know, and and that makes it a difference because maybe the Criollo 98 that you're used to is different. So, and that's true too. You know, we you touch on that. You know, it's a lot of people whether whether or not they realize it, it you could have Criollo 98 that's from one farm grown in Nicaragua. You could have Criollo 98 that's grown um, also in Nicaragua from a different farm. And you can have a Criollo 98 that's grown in the Dominican and so on and so on and so forth. And each one of those leaves, they're all going to be different. They're never going to be the same. Um, They might be the same base of the seed family, but they are going to taste completely different due to the soil, due to the weather, due to how they fermented it. So it all depends on the supplier and your purchasing. I keep going back to it, but it all goes back to the purchasing and, yeah. and the selection of which tobaccos you're going to use. So, I mean, uh, it's not a discovery, but I have a lot of fun looking at uh, Ecuadorian tobacco, Habano Ecuadorian tobacco from different suppliers. And people think, oh, Habano Ecuador. And each supplier has a different, a different taste. So it depends on which supplier you go with. You know, and for what cigars you're using them. So every supplier will change the taste. It, every big factory that has their own fermentation, that have their own processes, will have different tastes because of the, the way they work in the tobacco. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a very important point to make. Um, and I and I like to bring that up whenever I can, especially when I have people like you on the show who can you know build on that and explain a little bit more because I think it is important. Because you're right, people like look at the name. You know, Ecuador Habano. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, and they just assume like, oh, it's Ecuador Habano, blanket statement, yeah. and it's not. It, it, it's not. You know, there's so many different kinds of Ecuador Habano, um, whether you yeah. know it or not, um, and that does matter. So, um, thank you for explaining that too. I appreciate that. Uh, let let us finally uh, let's let's circle back to the news. We're a little late on the news, but that's fine. We uh, I, did, I didn't want to stop the flow of that combo. Uh, while I grab this, Mitchell, did you light up something new? you got there oh united there you go i uh, i see you're uh you're, you're sticking to it you're sticking to a theme tonight i like it mm-hmm. all right uh our news this week is once again brought to you by mcallif cigars if you head over to mcallifcigars.com today you can sign up to become official mcallif ambassador um this is from last week but it was a significant story so i i wanted to bring it up on the show um you probably have heard about this, but if not, uh, Arturo Fuente loses a warehouse to fire. Um, one of their warehouses uh, where they store their bales of tobacco um, that I was actually just at in November. Crazy enough. Um, it's insane. Uh, completely uh, engulfed in flames. The whole thing is gone. They lost. Carlito said about a million pounds of tobacco, which... Um, wow is insane and i'm sure uh we, we i'll bring class back on after i'm sure he can tell you just how big of a deal that is um it, it, it's 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 a lot and uh it's unfortunate and um you know it's it's definitely it's definitely a very sad moment for them uh to, to lose an inventory like that it's uh you know like if you've been following along with this conversation tonight you talk we talked about you know tobaccos available and you know a class that you don't doesn't have a warehouse with all these age tobaccos and stuff that you know people are sitting around this is it you know this is some of that for them and 
it's it's not just the tobacco that's lost it's it's the years of the aging and the, the time that was put into it being there um in addition yeah. to its value it, it's it's the time you know it's the time put into it um that is unfortunately lost as well um but it was a uh, wednesday last week so a week today um there was reports that there was a fire uh coming from their warehouses used for storage these warehouses are separate from the factory which is in Santiago, um, not far away. Uh, it's 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 nearby. Um, but the warehouse that burned down was warehouse number three. Uh, and Carlito had told us that about a million pounds of tobacco was destroyed. Um, he also said the month of May has not been good for them. Last year in May, they got hit at Chateau de la Fuente where they grow a lot of their own tobacco, primarily for Opus X. Um, that crop was damaged. A significant part of the crop was damaged from a freak hailstorm that came down and um, this may they, they lose a warehouse to fire within the same complex back in 2011 I believe it was uh, they also had a fire where they lost a warehouse with tobacco um, so it's uh, it's very unfortunate it was a big story it, you know came out last week and I, I just wanted to make sure I I brought it up on the show this week because it was uh, it's just so sad to hear, and uh, it's crazy. You you see you see the photos of it, and there's, if you go to smokeandtobacco.com and you look at the article, you can see some of the photos of of the aftermath of it. It's it's sad. It really is. It's uh, yeah. It's it's such a devastating loss. It's it's crazy. Um, but our news is uh, like I said, our news this week brought to you by McAuliffe Cigars. Um, class, I I I know that you know maybe back when you were in your Davidoff times, you know you they have warehouses of tobacco that they store mm-hmm. and whatnot. I mean. For someone like you, you know, to hear something like that, you know, it, it's got to be, you know, one of those things where it's like one of your worst nightmares as a cigar maker to, to lose an inventory like that. I mean, it's um, you know, like like I said before, you know, it's, it's not just the tobacco, it's the years of time. But I mean, um, I'm sure you, you know, you could probably even expand on even more than that. Uh, such a crazy loss. That's that's it's just unfortunate what happened to them we can do math right and that's a lot of cigars i'm not even gonna say it that's that's a lot of cigars yeah um yeah that you can make from from a million pounds um Mm -hmm. you know it's very sad for them my dad lost his factory not not a warehouse factory uh in 96. It's one of the few times I saw my dad cry and I have that kind of etched in my memory. And, and, and you see curing barns go bur- uh, light up on fire. You see warehouses light up on fire or be hit by a hurricane, uh, Cuba, and all these are disasters. What, what it's interesting also is this to note that when you lose a million pounds, yes, it affects your factory but it affects the entire industry because now Fuente has to find uh, tobacco to replace that, you know, in, in their production flow. And whether it affects their quality or not, or whether it affects, um, it shouldn't affect their quality, but it, whether it affects uh, shortages, but then it also affects suppliers because we're a very tight knit community um, and we all uh, vouch for each other. We all uh, support each other in time of need. So 
all the suppliers are going to do their best to be able to help them in these hard times. But that also puts a strain on the suppliers. And then that puts a strain on the other factories that need to acquire tobacco from those suppliers. And we, I don't know what was in that warehouse, whether it was wrapper, filler, binder, how much of, it, of what was in there, but it will hurt the supply chain for the whole industry at some level. So it is something that affects the whole industry and it's something that everybody in the industry, you know, feels sorry for and, you know, and, and is there to support. If, I, if there's any way I can help Fuente, in my small factory, I would, you know, yeah. and that's what everybody's going to do because they, they need the support right now. When a factory burns up and when a warehouse burns up, the whole industry rises to help each other because we're in all this together. Yeah. I think that's the, and again, that's, that's a, that's a theme of the cigar industry that's always brought up time and time again, just how as much as, you know, businesses compete with each other, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the community also sticks together. It is a small industry. It's an industry that also has its enemies that are common enemies. Um, but it's a small industry. And it, to me, one of the most amazing things about it is just how tight-knit and how caring you guys all are with each other. Because there's industries out there where, you know, if your factory burned down, your competitors would be like, ha Screw him. He lost. Let's just keep going. Don't have to worry about him now. And yeah, the competitors would be celebrating. Yeah. In this case, yeah. in this case, nobody's celebrating. It's, it's, I mean, the night before, I was at a restaurant where Fuente was, where Carlito was. Uh-huh. And we were sharing a hug and we were sharing beautiful words together, you know? And he actually, I actually, that night before, I actually ate a dish recommended by him. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Carlito, what should I eat? And he recommended it. And that's what I what I ate. And then the next day, you hear the terrible news, you know. So, I mean, I grew up with his daughters. I, we studied in the same school. And that goes for many other people in the industry here in the Dominican Republic. I grew up with their kids. And now the next generation is all growing up together. So, I mean, for me, they're all friends. And when I would go and travel to do events in in stores, and people would mention other brands, that's a no-no because we we all respect each other and we're all friends. Maybe in shelf space, we're competitors, but at, at the end of the day, we're all acquiring tobacco from similar suppliers. We all have similar uh, people that work for us with the same style of, with the same same rollers, same same workers, and we all understand each other. So it's, it's just a sad day for everybody. Yeah, yeah, uh, no doubt. Hundred percent. I think that the way you put that was was perfect too. I mean, it it, it it's something we see every day, and and again, I, that's why I love this industry so much is just how special mm-hmm. it really is. With just the people. I mean, cigars aside, I mean, cigars are great. That's why we that's why we're all doing this. But uh, but the people. You know, you you come for the cigars, you stay for the people. That's the way I like to say it. Um, I was just had something I was going to say to you, and I just lost it right out of the front of my brain, and it's driving me crazy right now. Oh, man. What was it that I was going to ask you? I'm sorry. I lost it. I know. And maybe it will. You know, it'll come back to me four hours from now. (laughs) And I'll be like, son of a bitch. Oh, man. You'll text me. 
Yeah, I will. I'll be responding. Yeah, get, a, get, a get a text later. <laughs> um, publish it under the comments from, from the video. Yeah, I'll put it there and I'll tag in it. You, you can come grab it. Um, just checking on our on our time here. Um, oh, it sucks because I was going to really build on that too. Uh, I hate when that happens. But anyway, uh, we are getting towards the end of the show anyway. Um, so before we wrap up the show, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, it's exciting to see you. I'm always happy when we get to have a cigar and, and have a conversation, whether it's this way or it's in person, um, you know, which I know I'll get to see in a few months at PCA anyway, which actually that's almost a month away. It's coming up fast. I can't even mm -hmm. believe it. I can't even believe it. Um, but no, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm really happy to see that you're doing well and, you know, excited by what you have going on with your factory. And I can't wait to see, you know, what you're making there. I know you won't tell me, but that's okay. I'll find out soon enough. I'm <laughs> uh, excited to, to see what comes out of there, try it, taste it, and, and just watch you continue to grow. Um, is there anything um, Is there anything that people can do to follow you, subscribe to you, like, on, or not really? Do you guys have any kind of um, – do you have a website? Well, do you have anything like I, that? People I, I, don't, I don't have a website yet, but um, the best way to reach me if you have any questions or if you just want to say hello – or have just a conversation and geek out about cigars is through Instagram. So class counter. And I, I did open up an Instagram for the factory where I'll slowly, once the marketing ramps up for the factory and I start being out more outspoken about the blends that are coming out, I'll definitely support my clients uh, in, in through that Instagram. So if you want to subscribe to uh, counter cigars, Instagram, uh, please do. And very soon you'll start seeing a lot more content uh, being published there. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, guys, for, don't. Sorry, for, for PCA, are you going to have a booth for your factory or are you, are you just going to be there attending? Well, PCA is, PCA is more of a selling platform. Yeah. And I, I'm a manufacturer. So uh, I'll be there because I've never missed a PCA in my life. And I've been going there since I was a little kid. I got married there. Uh, they pulled the dirty on me because I, I thought for the rest of my life I would be going to Vegas in July. And now they, they switched the, the month. <laughs> and so I won't be able to celebrate my, true. my anniversary at PCA anymore. I was very bummed about that. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be saying hello to all my friends. I'll be saying hello to all the brands. And you never know. I might catch a client or two while I'm there. So it's more to just to be in the middle and just support the industry. I'll never miss a PCA in, in my life as long as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. all, Yeah, that's very well said. I mean, at the end of the day, PCA, uh, it's an important organization. So any uh, any help that all of us can give to it is, is always important. So uh, it's also great because everyone's there and you get to see everybody. Well, almost everyone's there. Yes. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Mitchell, is there anything else that you want to bring up before we wrap up the show? Uh, no, I think that was everything. I just wanted to make sure. I don't want to leave any stone unturned. Uh, well, guys, thank you for listening with us. If you're listening to us on the podcast platforms, don't forget to like and subscribe everywhere you can get your podcasts as well as on, on, uh, on all of our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, on our YouTube channel. You can catch all of our videos. And as always, you can head over to SmokingTobacco.com for more news, reviews, and updates from the cigar industry. And with that, we're going to say good night, and we'll see you this weekend for Spare Notes. Take care. See you, everyone. Thank you so much, guys. 
Thank you for spending your time with us at Smokin' Tobacco. Please remember to like and subscribe for more episodes and content. And as always, visit SmokinTobacco.com for news and updates from the cigar industry.